Today's scripture reading comes from Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, through 2, verse 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For, like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblime, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them. Not by the bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call her Lo-Ami, which means, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Only this row is awake. Good morning, Point Loma. I'll put this over here. It's good to, to be back. Um, I was born in Costa Rica. My parents are from Peru. Uh, I'm a missionary kid. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm really messed up because I've moved and I, I find home in multiple places and yet none. Um, I'm thankful to, to be back here at Point Loma. This was a, a great place for me to begin to uh, grow and mature and find uh, my calling and find my... Um, also, very importantly, my wife, <laughs> who's watching, so thank you, baby, for letting me come this week. Um, and here's a picture of our family. We have a two-year-old. Um, his name is Elias, Elias Caleo Canales, and he reminds us of that often because we mess around, and it's like, ah, you're too cute, and he's like, no, I'm Elias Caleo Canales. Um, my wife, Andrea, is from Hawaii. Yeah, there we go. From the Big Island, she came here to, to Point Loma, and we met here, and uh, she's currently doing her PhD in clinical psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary, so she is amazing. She had her birthday yesterday, so everybody say happy birthday as she's listening. Thank you. I hope you got that. Um, and uh, she's just wonderful. She is really uh, intelligent, wise, 
and way more gifted than me. Um, so it's a real honor to, to do ministry with her, to do life with her. Uh, Elias is two years and four months old almost. Uh, he's in preschool right now, and um, he loves trucks, a lot of trucks, and uh, Daniel Tiger Neighborhood, if anybody knows about that, is the newer version of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Really interesting, fascinating social commentary and theological implications, but that's just me geeking out. <laughs> Besides the point, um, this, this week as we dive into this, this series of um, of sermons. Um, I know that you've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and the whole theme for this year is, is down to earth. Um, and specifically this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's deeply connected to uh, this intersection, which is beautifully described behind me right here, and this intersection of heaven and earth and it's accurately describing this intersection of two realms that we often think of as separate, right? But that in Scripture, and specifically in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we see them as coming together. And this prayer reminds us that theologically to pray that God's will be done, it's a really dangerous prayer. Because to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven is that this will would be everywhere in the totality of human existence, but also in the vastness of creation. It means that we need to look at Jesus and we need to understand the constant alignment of the human will and the divine will. As Jesus in the garden says, not my will, but your will. But this is where the conflict lies, to be honest. There are multiple kingdoms, there are multiple wills, there are multiple gods with little g fighting for our attention, for our loyalties, for our allegiances, and on our investments of time and money and energies. So the, there, there's this whole process that Stanley Hauer was an ethicist, Christian ethicist, comments on this particular part of the prayer, and he says, to pray that God's will be done is to pray that our wills will be schooled that they will be schooled to desire that God's will be done. That our wills would be schooled and instructed in the desires of God's kingdom. That's hard because it's often short-lived. Can I get an amen? The litmus test of my alignment, of my decisions, my desires, and my will with the will of the Father, that's constantly being tested by the ups and downs of our daily walk. And I'm assuming it's the same for you. But as simple as this, this truth may be, we really need a good companion this week to help us discern, to help us discern what, what's at stake in aligning our will with God's will, to help us confront our desires gone array, to help us move from just seeking God's kingdom to actually living God's kingdom. And that's where the book of Hosea comes in. We often stay away from the minor prophets because we think they're minor. But it's just they're minor because they're shorter. But they're just as important. Sometimes they're even more bold than some of the longer prophets. And the book of Hosea... As we walk through this book, we're going to encounter 
And we're going to consider a few things. Because obviously it strikes us. It's uncomfortable. So the first thing, I have to, I have to make some clarifying observations. Yes? Because you read it, you saw it, and you're like, what in the world? How is this? What? Promiscuous and prostitute and what? We'll get there. This book, I need to make a few clarifying statements before we begin. Because this book was written within a patriarchal society where the role, value, and status of women was seen as less than men. And as such, this book tells the story of a marriage, of a relationship, but it only does it from the man's perspective. So we need to recognize that. A perspective that when read through our 21st century lens, it's uncomfortable in the tones of violence, of verbal abuse, and oppression of a woman. So let's just get that out there. I recognize that. But the problem is, the good problem is that it's still in the Bible. So he can't avoid it. So it must challenge us in certain ways. Our temptation will be to read this book of Hosea as Hosea the hero. Oh, he's the one that went and married. Other translations um, have Gomer being a prostitute. But, and Gomer as the prostitute, as the filthy one, as the less than worthy. But in doing so, we may quickly repeat previous patterns of reading this text to condemn women of sexual infidelity and absolve men of sexual infidelity. And we have to be honest about that. As a guy, as guys, as men, we need to recognize that. No amens yet. Okay, you guys are this truly Monday morning. So please hear my heart in approaching this text with care, seriousness, and attention. The relationship between Hosea and Gomer does not condone, justify, or approve any kind of violence in a relationship. This is where you say amen, Point Loma. Nor does, nor does this relationship, um, the correlationship, does, does Hosea make Yahweh or Jehovah or God the um, equals? Or Gomer, Israel, doesn't allow us for us to think that one gender is supposed to submit to the other. But what I would like to ask is that we see this relationship between Hosea and Gomer as a prism. As a prism through which we can understand the relationship between Yahweh and Israel. And ultimately, to better understand ourselves in relationship to Yahweh, to God, and to perhaps one another. Hosea's ministry took place approximately around 730 before Christ. It took place in the northern kingdom. Israel had already split up, and Hosea's ministry is part of the, of, of the northern kingdom, which is also gets called Israel, which also gets called Ephraim. And the capital of the northern kingdom is in Samaria. The southern kingdom, Judah, with its capital in Jerusalem. And in the midst of this ministry, Hosea is trying to take on the task of convincing and returning Israel towards Yahweh before Yahweh would act upon Israel's infidelity. The imagery that the book of Hosea uses to communicate this infidelity from Ephraim, from Israel to Yahweh, is promiscuity. 
infidelity. Many translations have preferred the term prostitute to describe Gomer. However, the Hebrew word is sona, derived from sana, which its primary definition is to have sexual relations outside of marriage. So it covers a range of sexual activity. But whatever we can say about this Gomer-Hosea relationship, we need to say that it's a relationship marked by promiscuity, by infidelity. And in turn, this promiscuity and this infidelity, we can see that it's, it's a relationship that is established in the midst of infidelity, in the midst of the ups and downs, in the midst of our will struggling with the Father's will and often us not getting it. And so we can see Hosea and Gomer and the whole book as a parable, as a parable enacted out, enacting out the national life of Ephraim and Israel with God. We good? I needed to say all of that. Because otherwise you're like, why are we doing Hosea? I, had not, I just gave you all the reasons. And in this first chapter, I believe that as, as we get this word from the Lord to Hosea to go marry Gomer, a promiscuous woman, there, there's, there's this invitation, there's more than an invitation, there's a challenge in this relationship for Israel to evaluate, to do a self-assessment yeah, of Israel's intimacy with God. And, and it's an invitation for us, and it's a challenge for us to also, if we truly mean everything that we've sung this morning, to evaluate our own intimacy with God. Because that's what's at stake. Promiscuity and fidelity, it, it is the outburst of intimacy not being strengthened. And most of the time we have to be honest with ourselves that our intimacy with God is something that we fear. It's something that we just like for a few moments, but that we have a hard time living in that intimacy. And I believe that this first chapter allows us to, to consider what an intimacy with God is like, but more than that, it asks us to consider where is our intimacy with God this week, Point Loma. Where, where, how are we being intimate with God? And I would like to point to the three names of the, the son and the daughter that Gomer and Hosea have. As a guide to kind of look into where Israel's intimacy was at and also to reflect upon our own intimacy with God. The first name is Jezreel, which literally means God sows or God scatters. But the, the imagery here is that Jezreel was this place um, that for Israel, it, it had a huge connotation. And that connotation was that it was a place where blood had been shed. About 70 uh, family members of one of their kings had died, had all been slaughtered there. It was a place of desolation. It was a place filled with death. And so, I know this sounds really mean, right? Like, why would you name your kids that? Like, if you want to really mess someone up, right? <laughs> name them Jezreel, like Valley of Death, right? Name them not pity, not compassion, and name them not my people. You'd be thinking that's bad parenting right there, right? 
I would not sign that birth certificate. But it's an assessment in that naming that, in having that child present and lived. And in that name, there is this assessment of the, uh, an evaluation of the intimacy of God and Israel, Israel and God. And the first evaluation is definitely that in this Jezreel, in this place of death, in this place of war and violence, God, through this first son, asks a really hard question, but also tells them of a really difficult reality for them to grasp as the kingdom of Israel, which is that I will break the bow, I will break the sword, I will, I will no longer use violence as a way of establishing security in the land. And that's really hard. That's really hard for, for Israel, a kingdom that was nearing Assyria, and that had Assyria as a threat, and, and that always had this, this um, threat, military threat. But yet, in verse 4 and 5, because I will soon bring about this restoration of another way of being away from violence into a way of peace. I will break your bow, your sword, and your survival tactics, usually involving political alliances, and I will evaluate those tactics in light of my covenant, which is not a violent covenant, which is a covenant based on love. And this brings us to, to the point of understanding that for us as a people, as a community, but also individually, the question of the first question of our intimacy is who do you trust? In whom do you really trust? Because Israel was confronted with its desire, her desire to, to experience self-preservation. And that's why it was making political alliances. It was worshiping different gods in order to, to be certain that they will survive. Who do you trust? Israel was still in a very prosperous context. But it was making allegiances with other gods and with other nations in order to make sure that their market economy was stable, to make sure that their national security was in place, to make sure that they would have enough for themselves, regardless of whatever else was going on with other people. And we do this a lot. We try to self-preserve. It's called competition. It's called, am I going to get that job? What do I need to do in order to get through at Point Loma? What do I need to do in order to stand out, even if that means stepping on somebody else? And for some of us, we've misunderstood this so much that sometimes even our goal is, what do I need to self-preserve, right? My reputation, my popularity, my looks, I guess, I, I think I can say this, Mary, right? But some of us are trying to compete to get up here. And we'll do anything to preserve the outside. Where is your intimacy at with God? The second name of the, of the second daughter is Loru Hama, which means not worthy of compassion. Not the not pitied one. And this is really... This is really hard because this 
means that there needed to be an assessment and evaluation of their compassion. Israel, where is your compassion at? And for Israel, it had become a conditional compassion. It was a conditional compassion because they started to act in exclusivistic ways. And it started to say, this applies to us, but it doesn't apply to others because we're chosen. This applies to us, so let's make sure that nobody else gets a piece of this compassion because it's just for us. It's a stingy kind of compassion. It's a compassion that only applies to those that look like us. And that's troublesome to God. That's not intimate. That's actually pushing God away more. And so the second child reminds them that, that their compassion had become conditional. And a people that lose sight of the compassion of God for his creation, for his creation and for the neighbor, it's a people that ultimately operates out of convenience more than compassion. Whatever is more convenient to us. And so we say, well, I'm going to serve whenever it's convenient. Whenever my weekends open up, I will do ministry. Whenever I can get something in return, right? Spiritual development is doing all these things, but I don't really get anything out of it. Then you're asking the wrong question. You're asking what's convenient for you. And that doesn't lead to intimacy. That leads to an exchange of products and goods, and that is not intimacy with God. Any amens? You guys are... Man, I knew I should have started lighter with some story about Elias or something. But, but a, a stingy compassion, a conditional compassion, leads the way to an exceptionalism in which we could call it even the American exceptionalism, where we start building walls and we start banning people and we start saying things about people so that we are then making sure that this compassion is only for us and not for others. And God says, be careful. Be very careful. Who do you think you are? Because that compassion, as John the seer was rightly assessing the church in Revelation says, you have lost your first love if you think that that's what compassion means. The third child is called Loami. You will not be my people because what's at stake when you only operate with self-preservation, when you always have a conditional compassion, then you, not, then you stop reflecting the image of the living God. And so then you have a marred identity, a lost identity, a complicated identity because you feel like you can be both Christian and fill in the blank. You can worship this and worship that. And Jesus very clearly says you can't worship money and God. You can't. You, you can't lose your identity in the process of trying to preserve Yourself, or trying to be compassionate only to certain people. 
In Spanish, there's a saying, Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. I think God was telling Israel, tell me who you're sleeping with and I'll tell you who you really are because of how quickly you can exchange your birthright for a plate of lentils. You can lose sight of who you are as the people of God. And that, my friends, is troublesome. But it's also urgent. Because in this effort of trying to be someone, in trying to define our identity, especially in these four years, as we're away from parents, as we're trying to figure out who we are, it could quickly, we could quickly, quickly pick and choose from different Different things, different, different narratives. But God wants to remind us, you are children of the living God. And because you're children of the living God, then you don't need to worry about self-preservation. You don't need to worry about competition. In fact, as children of the living God, you now belong to a different kind of family. A family that knows how to share. And that's really hard because Elias right now has a hard time sharing. But it's interesting that even though time passes, we still want to keep our toys. <laughs> and we have a hard time sharing. And when we have a hard time sharing, then we think that there's not enough. And then, then we make these stories up of other people that don't look like us. And then, personally, as an immigrant... I feel attacked when, when, when I'm being told that I'm taking away jobs from people. <laughs> but, but I hope that I'm not because I'm hoping that you can join in the movement of the kingdom of God where there's always enough. And there's enough for us to share in the work of the kingdom of God. God then reorganizes these kind of assessments and says, you are children of the living God. And because you're children of the living God, then you will experience the full breath of compassion and love. And the profoundness of love is that it's not exclusivist, it's not exceptionalist, but it's inclusive, it's participation, it's let's do this together because I need Someone that doesn't look like me. Because he has broken the dividing wall as we read. And part of the problem, I don't know where Noah is, right? They mentioned that we're so segregated in church is because we have enacted these very things. I want to preserve the way the church looks like for me. This compassion is only for me, whether you want to do it explicitly or implicitly, we're all doing it. And the spirit of the living God is here to remind you, if we're going to experience renewal, we need to take an assessment of our intimacy with God. And that intimacy plays out in how, again, we're trying to preserve ourselves at the expense of others, how our compassion is being lived out, and where our identity truly lies. Let me remind you, Poiloma, that this part of this assessment accompanied by this fidelity, this faithfulness of God in the midst of our infidelity. Hosea wants to
to remind us that intimacy with God is restored when you recognize the fatherhood, the, 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 the paternity that God has over us, our Father in heaven. You will provide, so I don't need to compete. Our Father in heaven, remind us that we're your children. And so Yahweh is reminding his people that they were not their people, but it was his decision to call them out. And it's God's decision to call us out into this way of being. And part of that is our intimacy. And so a compassion that has been shared and expressed to us is for us to be a blessing, is for us to be an inclusion, a participation for us to model mutuality with neighbor. That is worthy of the mercy of God. No border wall, no, no wall, no executive order, no kind of uh, uh, any other rule that may come upon us will be able to determine the compassion of God and his people. Especially for those that are considered the other. Especially for those that are scapegoated. Especially for those that we see as lost, as the last, as the least of this world. That is where we dwell as the people of God. Because we are now called his people. We are now called sons and, and daughters of the living God. As we delight in our belongingness to the Father in celebration with the family of God. Our identity is no longer lost or adulterated, but it's rather reclaimed under the restoring identity of the cross and in the power of the resurrection. So we praise God for that because that is transforming power. That reconfigures everything that is disfigured. Everything that is lost is found and everything that is unclean is cleaned. Under that God. Amen? Let's stand up. God, this renewal week, as the song said, we open up our hearts. We, we allow your Holy Spirit to examine us. And rather than reiterate the ways of the world, rather than continue to reinforce the powers and principalities and the complicit silence towards the injustices of this world, we say, God, search us and know us as to how we're doing in our own intimacy today, God. Help us, we pray. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day. Yes.